Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, Blade Disgusting's horror video game podcast, delivering a horrifying new episode every Monday. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bowen. And this week we're chatting about the franchise that's synonymous with the first-person shooter genre, that being id Software's Doom. We'll be chatting about our collective introductions to the franchise, favorite entries, and how Doom 2016 revolutionized Doom Guy for the modern age. But it isn't just Neil and I ripping and tearing this week, as we're joined by writer and contributor to Daily Grindhouse, Greg Mucci. Greg, welcome to the show, man. Hey, how's it going? Not too bad. We're very excited to uh, chat a franchise that I think is probably near and dear to most uh, gamers' hearts that are fans of uh, first-person shooters. So I guess for you, like, what was your first introduction to Doom? Uh, Well, it came out in 93, so I would have been seven. Um, And for me, it was mostly over-the-shoulder sort of gameplay watching. I would go to my friend's house, and they would be sort of playing it on their PC and... Um, I mean, I definitely got into horror relatively early, I think, um, like a lot of people, but Doom was always, it wasn't taboo, but I wasn't really allowed to play it. It was sort of, um, so that's why I kind of crept over to a friend's house and watched them play on the PC. And, you know, when you're that age, you don't share that often. So it was just definitely a lot of me watching, same with Wolfenstein, um, but they definitely wet my whistle for sort of what I was looking for within the horror genre. Um, but my real sort of, I guess, arch with Doom was Doom 3 in 2004. Um, which, you know, jumping into this in 2016 is like a totally different beast because, you know, Doom 3 is like survival horror and as a Resident Evil, you know, huge fan, I was like, oh, this is what Doom is. Doom's is going to continue to be atmospheric and scary and because I thought Doom Three was terrifying, I mean, like you look down a dark hallway and there's like yeah. a baby crying, and you know, like like it's just steam pipes are causing jump scares, and I loved it. Um, but you know, when you both sort of uh, asked me to come on, I was like, oh well, I never played Doom 2016, so I'll just buy it and I'll play it. And I remember the first night I installed it, I was like, okay, I'm just gonna like get like a little high, I'm gonna like play this and just get scared. And from the get-go, it was just, like, a totally different experience, mm. very action-oriented. And it kind of gave me whiplash, and, yeah. Uh, so just to say I've been playing the Doom games my whole life would be an understatement, because I had Doom 64 for the N64, which came out in 97, yeah. I believe. Um, and I didn't really play it that much. I think I was, at that point, playing a lot of Call of Duty through, like, TeamSpeak, and I had, like clans and stuff and yeah my focus was like battlefield vietnam it was definitely away from the sort of the horror of first person shooter um but yeah yeah doom 3 was definitely my like big sort of awakening for the whole series yeah you know i think doom 3 is a game that i want to always keep coming back to to talk about just because it's such a perfect example of doing what doom does so well but in such a different way and yet it still feels perfectly in line with a majority of just Doom's, you know, the ethos of it being the first-person shooter and whatnot, but just more in line with, like, the demonic elements of it that really do define it and separate it from, you know, Wolfenstein and whatnot in a way that um, was very defining. And, you know, it, it's funny, your experience with it, uh, I totally relate to in terms of just, like, not really being allowed to play those types of games growing up and then having to sneak over to a buddy's house and, you know, jumping between that and Wolfenstein and then, you know, both of those games really being in line with two separate interests of mine, but being such 
formative titles uh, in a way that, you know, Doom has always been a part of my, you know, gaming history, I guess, and for different periods of time and things like that. And to just, you know, come to different entries at different points of time, like I always come to things seemingly at a random order. Like I just played Doom 64 this year for the first time and kind of like oh, wow. jumped back and forth and everything. And, you know, no matter what you say about like which entries might do something better or capitalize on a certain element in a way that the series hadn't previously you know, Doom always feels very Doomish in a way that uh, really, I think, is what has allowed it to be such a defining first-person franchise. And it's one that uh, is no surprise that so many people have uh, a great admiration and love for. But, Neil, I mean, what was your first introduction to Doom? Uh, Doom 2, I think, which is uh, Hell on Earth, um, which I got a legitimate copy of um, with my PC when we got one in 1997. Um, so that was the first time I really played a Doom game. I, I was aware of it, you know, at that point. But um, yeah, that was like one of those very first PC experiences, like uh, we discussed before. You know, so I've always been tied up that in my identity, I suppose, in terms of gaming, is that that PC thing was all it, it, it. It was like I had Quake, I had Doom too, I had, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, as we were talking on the previous episode about Wolfenstein as well you know these were things that all sort of swept up around me at that time and you know through sheer nostalgia's sake they are all part of the you know warmly remembered things for me and yeah i really enjoyed doom 2 for what it was i think mm. <laughs> it may seem like blasphemy to say it but like you know i very much ended up enjoying jute nukem 3d more because at the time because it was just more along the line of what I knew and liked. I think probably the fact that Junior was just spouting catchphrases of every movie I was pretty much discovering around that time helped a lot, you know, at that point. But um, that and the fact, like I said last week with Wolfenstein, it was like I, you know, Quake was out by then and that was like, whoa, revolutionary. And I've talked at length about why I love Quake. But, mm. all, you know, it's... All these games have something about them that is very distinctive to it, you know, and you can't dismiss any of them, you know, from that sort of legacy point of view. So, yeah, while I may prefer one to the other, I still feel it had that importance, you know, and it you know, has long remained, I think, you know, a, the favourite for me, you know, in terms of, of the entire franchise, because I've gone through it so many times and been playing around with it and know some of those early levels like the back of my hand you know when it because back in those days where you know you have a handful of games and that's it you know sort of thing you so you do just push on mm-hmm. through your things and learn things from memory and yeah so yeah and it's a game again one of those games from that period where i come back to it again and again just to, oh i fancy trying that again you know and when it comes on to a new console i'd be like yeah i'll play that you know it and yeah, I, I really appreciate what they did with it, you know. And again, I think that's what we were saying with Wolfenstein. It's a, a franchise that has learned to evolve with the times, not always for the way people want it to. Uh, you know, I think Doom Three being that example, but where it's a bit more divisive, but doesn't matter. You know, it's because they tried something. And yeah, it's kind of eerie how those journeys sort of mirror each other in a way that Doom did what it did and had that mm. sort of 
out there, middle entry, if you will, like Wolfenstein did in 2009, where it's like, here's an entry that people like because it's more spooky and scary and shit. But most people are like, this isn't what I wanted. And and so they rebooted to be something more along the lines of what people wanted again. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of funny you like sort of bring up the the scares because I I remember Doom one and two being legitimately scary. I mean, like I uh, I think in opposition to Wolfenstein, where it was much more well lit. Uh, for the most part, you're fighting just hordes of Nazis, yeah. and I feel like that was very okay. You know, like you're looking at this game that's like you know bringing in this demonic idea that like hell is a parallel dimension versus the reality of Nazis, and it's like, well, Nazis are bad. We all know that, so, you know, go ahead and kill them. But I remember Doom 1 and 2 being really terrifying, which is why Doom 3 felt in line, which is, I think, in turn why this felt strange, because I don't think at any point was I scared playing this game. And obviously, I'm looking at myself as a child playing it versus, you know, 35, but uh, I'm easily scared. I mean, Resident Evil 7, I think, is one of the most terrifying games ever. Uh, Resident Evil 8 has its moments, but this was just like, obviously they wanted to try and replicate Doom 1 and 2 through its action, but I found it sort of strange, I guess, that they didn't try and replicate the horror of it. Yeah. You know, and like, the thing I like, and, and going into it, I was like, how many iterations, because it is, I mean, it was at first called Doom 4, and then the working title got changed to Doom 2016, I guess, by fans, maybe? But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just like, I am just very surprised. Like, how how many iterations can you have of, like, man gets sent to Mars to go, you know, to take control of a st- station, the whole hell portal? So, like, when your guy wakes up on the slab of, you know, uh, the, the table and you're already thrust into this action, I knew, like, the pacing of it, it was going to be different. But I'm just very, very surprised I didn't try and replicate the horror of Doom 1 and 2 because I think they're they're kind of scary games, you know, in their own way. I was going to say, I really liked that you brought up like the scare factor of it because that was never something I associated with Wolfenstein for many of the reasons you just Mm. stated. But in terms of like Doom and Doom 2 coming to those early on, like those games were scary because I'd never seen monsters like that, that kind of are so uh, aggressive in pursuing you and things like that. And the variation, Mm -hmm. right? Going from Wolf 3D and basically playing it back to back with Doom, it was like, oh, well, this has a lot more variation in terms of what you're facing. And, you know, back in the day, not really having uh, internet or the forums being what they are now, obviously, and not being able to like really research or having the wherewithal to be like, oh, I could research this game and learn more about it. And there was sort of like an unnerving surprise factor to what's going to be behind that next UAC door or something like that. And oh, exactly, just yeah. the variety of how hellish these creatures were. Cause like I had grew up playing and I've talked about ad nauseum on the podcast of uh, growing up playing uh, zombies ate my neighbors. Mm. And it's like, yeah, that has monsters and a variety of monsters, but there is this like eighties kind of schlocky to it that it's never necessarily terrifying uh, unless, you know, the dolls that throw knives at you, that was pretty scary. But uh, in terms of doom, like those are some of the, for the time when I was experiencing them, like, hellish creations that I was, you know, probably comparing to something like the thing in terms of just being these mutilations of flesh that I'd never mm. encountered before. And to have, you know, five, 10 of them coming at you at once or something like that was uh, definitely a uh, an anxiety inducing experience <laughs> for uh, whatever six year old Jay. Yeah, I mean, like, I think Doom is, like, sort of the perfect, like, lily pad or stepping stone for horror. And I also think it's the same for uh, metal. I mean, granted, 
I got heavily into new metal around 1997. So you're looking sort of like there's a very easy transition. Um, and then with this, you know, you have um, the composer. What's his Mick name? Gordon. Yeah, there we go. Um, you know, kind of popping off with the metal and even with Doom Eternal, I think, going even overboard with it. But uh, yeah, I think they were all stepping stones into the metal and horror and just kind of shows this like relationship between it all. But yeah, uh, I don't know. I was super into like what John Romero was going to do with Diakatana. And so like at that point, though, I was like kind of straying away from horror FPS. I was more into like tribes i played a lot of that online oh, yeah, i did tribes. like <laughs> yeah, soldier of fortune joint ops I, I think i think it's just really weird looking at that time being like okay we have like post 9-11 and a lot of the games i was into were war games yeah and it's just like you know the 90s being very like industrial and metal based so you had the doom game duke nukem and then this huge pivot and i just yeah i played a lot of battlefield vietnam so my I think I strayed away from it. Um, but looking back at those games, I think they're, they're still scary. Um, but yeah, no, I'm sort of rambling. No, no, no. You, the- you, you made a good point because I actually brought this up in the Wolfenstein episode we did that, you know, it's like, I think these franchises suffered a bit because there was this sort of shift towards different kinds mm. of shooters, you know, and like even Wolfenstein, you know, suffered because it was at the tail end of World War II shooters. It, when Return to Castle mm. Wolfenstein came out and like you'd had all these old ones out like Medal of Honor, Allied Assault, and you had Dare Defeat and things like that. And then by the time the 2009 game came out, you know, Call of Duty had taken over and, uh, you know, it's modern warfare, it's realistic, it's guns, it's, you know, the, the war in, out there, that's it. And so, yeah, you do get these shifts in pattern and it took them a while to sort of adapt to those things, you know, and get the franchises back where they needed to be and maybe that pays a big part uh, into why doom and wolfenstein take the directions they do in the more modern iterations that they Mm. are trying to capture the essence of what they were in a very different way that fits a more modern audience if if you will while still Mm -hmm. because i always associate doom 2016 of being more like Quake than Doom. Oh, for because sure. Because the pace, the way it's you know traversal, everything about it is like it's taking all the things. That, so I think of it less than in that response, more like it's less Doom and more of like id software greatest hits. If you know what I mean, it's like here's mm-hmm. everything we've learned over the years in a game pushed all together. It's basically id the the wonder years, if you will. Yeah, because I mean, even even taking out reloading is like a huge mm. thing. But I saw like people comparing Doom twenty sixteen to like Halo, and it's like outside of like the suit itself, I didn't really see much similarities. No, definitely, um, you know, like I think that it, it your character is like a shark, like you kind of have to keep moving, yeah. and that's like how they how they built the world and. Mm. But it's also weird because they build all these secrets and these areas that you have to discover into it. And, like, I don't have the time. And not because I, I'm not creating that, but it's because the game is not willing to give it to me in a way. Yes. And so, like, it sort of is strange that there's all these things that you want, they want you to backtrack and find. And, like, ledges to climb. It got a bit confusing, I think, on a level design aspect mm-hmm. because... Doom 1 and 2 are very straightforward. It's very, like, you know, you have a linear hallway, you go left or right, you go straight, and here you're, you're climbing stuff. And I did love 
the outdoor Mars worlds because, you know, ever since watching Total Recall as a kid, I'm like, anytime a game could put me on Mars, I'm all yes. about it. But it was, I was just like, I th- I feel like this game was a bit too um, dictated by the music. And which isn't a bad thing, I guess, when it comes to, like, being the d- scary doom I grew up with. I sort of miss that a little bit. Yeah, it's, I think the best phrase I ever saw for this Doom 2016 was that it's a metal album cover come to life. You know, that, that, that mm. is it. And in that respect, it does its job brilliantly because you are just playing out, you listen to that soundtrack on its own and it feels like, you know, some sort of experimental metal album that, you've, that mm-hmm. has been summoned forth that you've never heard before. And yeah, I think especially when you do go to those outdoor environments in Mars, and even to the hell world, it feels like that the most. But to sort of touch upon what you were saying, uh, where you have to do the collectibles and the, and the backtracking and you sometimes do in the more boring colony parts, mm. it's like that's where it kind of feels like they had to add stuff to fill it out uh, rather mm. than making the project as it should be. I mean, 13 hours or so, as we sort of said, for that game to be finished feels like it could be streamlined a lot and you could just sort of push for it. I think, yeah. you know, different style completely, but uh, I think of Bulletstorm, um, you know, which is, you know, very reminiscent of Gears in terms of its visual style and, but then has its own puerile humor and has really fun weapons. And it, but it's paced well, it knows what it's doing, it goes, doesn't stay outstay its welcome and it invites you to come and play it again, not to collect stuff, but to see different what you could do in different weapon combinations and just how to approach different you know, high score attack stuff. That feels like a purer way of doing things. And I think some of that's lacking in twenty Doom twenty sixteen because they do do these little filler moments which is well, I'm wandering around now, and like you said, you have to be like a shark and keep moving, but you, you, it's a little too much like a shark in that you're moving around doing nothing some of the time and mm. waiting for the next wave to sort of trigger because you to realise you found where you're supposed to go next sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that sort of was my biggest gripe was that you like if you're not in the middle of the sort of like battle royale of like you've you found a demonic portal your objective is to shut it down and then defeat the hordes in order to unlock the door it's like it's what it's what transpires after the doors open where it's like you can really lean into the atmospheric horror with some like scares but it's a lot of this sort of not negative space it's just it's it feels very empty and obviously it's a you know uh, an entire facility that's been overrun and everyone mostly dead, but I felt it relied a bit too heavily on like the the chamber battles. Um, and I think like if you just want to fucking rock out and like crank the volume up and just blow some shit up, like you're that's all for it. But there's 13 levels of it, so yeah. after a bit, it could be like okay, you know, this is it's not like a negative redundancy, but it's like I don't know. I feel like in 2016. I kind of want more a little bit, which is like, which is greedy on my end, but because it's a good game, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. But if I'm going to gripe, I'm, you know, that's my gripe. I, no, and I totally agree because in its moments, you know, when it, everything is really going, I think especially when you're like go, go berserk, 
and you just mm. full on smash the shit out of stuff. It is the most exquisite <laughs> for yeah. stuff that you could ever play, and it just feels like wow, this is it. But it, that's just what emphasizes the stuff that doesn't work, and when it's too slow, and there's just stuff where you kind of. I don't know, it'd be like a John Wick movie where he just sort of stands around half the time having a cigarette and a coffee while he's thinking about what he's going to do next. You know, it, it would just be like, no, we, we don't want to see that stuff. We want to just see the next thing where he does some inventive thing with a pencil. That's it. We don't want to know what he's doing in between. We, ju- we just want the action, the ripping, the tearing, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, which which we you know we actually ended up getting in Matrix Resurrections when it's like you know Neo is sort of going through the motions of depression and his job and and like you know that was a brief bit but like yeah, uh, it's just a stra- it's a strange beast because I just feel like in replicating one and two you're you're eliminating something that was so key to everyone's childhood. And I don't know, maybe it's just the time period in which we're playing it. If I was twenty playing it in nineteen ninety three, yeah. maybe it'd be different. But I just thought like especially the lighting in Doom One and Two, which I'm sure has everything to do with you know the the engines of the of the PC or the because when I first got Doom, I actually got it from my place. It was for PS for PlayStation. And it was Doom One and Two, um, but yeah, I don't know uh, this one. I felt like when I first started getting into the hand-to-hand combat, like when they start to glow either blue or, or orange and you're able to grapple with them, I was like, oh, this is this feels very Mortal Kombat 11, where it's like you enter into this sort of automated, slow-mo, uh, grotesque, hand-to-hand uh, cinematic uh, scene almost. And here, it was that, but you had a bit more control of it because you're able to like... Um, aim for their legs, their head, their back. Um, but it's almost too fast-paced to really focus on that, because some of the challenges were like, you know, different glory kills. There was just so much of the pace um, that dictated what you're able to do. And I guess, sorry, able is not really the right word, but you're allowing yourself to do, because you just are kind of going with the motions at some point. And, you know, because, like, one of the challenges was get three uh, glory kills by, like, kicking or sweeping their leg. And it was just really difficult to do that because, uh, I don't know, you're just moving constantly. And, uh, I don't know, I I guess I'm just more into the slower Doom, which sounds very boring, but it's, I don't know, but... I'm getting, I'm getting used to it. I do want to get Doom Eternal and play that because now I know it's like an actual sequel, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, and in that regard, it is very much a sequel sequel in so many ways. I mean, I, I'm not going to go too far into my thoughts on Doom Eternal because it disappointed me, to say the least, in, in terms of just going too far in the way that I didn't want it to go. Like. I feel it overcompensates for the problems of Doom 2016, which is like, you know, where I said it doesn't have enough busy work where it should have busy work. And then Doom Eternal was like, yeah, everything's busy work now. It's like, you you don't have time to breathe properly. And it's like, well, not quite that. <laughs> it's like, which is picky, it's fussy, but it's the way it feels. And like you said, there's no problem with Doom being slow. You know, it, it can be slow and be more methodical, but you have to pick a lane, you know, with, with Doom, yeah. I think. You can't just go bloop, 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 up, down, up, down. You need to work up and down towards those things and take an actual... It's, 
changing lanes at speed that it shouldn't, you know, I think. And that's where the biggest problem lies. Or, or driving in the slow lane at really, really fast speeds. In, <laughs> it shouldn't. It, it's... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I had similar issues with um, the Resident Evil 3 remake, where mm. it was a bit too out the door and you're just going going and they definitely slowed it down a little bit once you're able to take over i think what's his name carlos yeah. i think are you taking you taking over and you're in the police station but here it's and i felt like it was a bit um it, it was a bit too repetitive in where you're going like i mean once you hit the art the argent energy tower you get thrown into hell at the the Kanegar sanctum and then you get thrown back to mars then you go back to hell and I, I guess I wanted more hell because the things that like r- I remember being really scary in the original Doom was when you're like, there's like lava pits and then you have the cyber demon comes out. And yeah, it, it, and here, like, I really wanted to appreciate different bosses, but because of things being the same, all the, all the, the enemies felt the same at some point. And they're really, there's a lot of, you know, you go from like the imps to like the hell guards, but I, wa- I guess I wanted a boss per level. And it would have been really cool for the, the, the designers to sort of pop off because there's 13 levels. You could have had 13 bosses. And here, you know, I think there's what, maybe four bosses total? Yeah. Three or four, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, these are just like, I guess, getting my gripes out because I. I thought like the, the 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 graphics using the id tech six, um, which makes me really curious about the id tech seven for Doom Eternal. But it was just like a really beautiful game, even though I think they said that it was going to run at a lower frame rate than Rage, and I think it was like thirty frame rates. And I don't know, it's a really beautiful looking game. I think that it builds, um, it chews scenery. Like when you get thrown into hell, it's like really cool. Um, and yeah, it's. I never had once had like an issue with like slowdown or anything like that. Um, no, no, I don't. But yeah, I, I guess I don't know. I, I'm, I'll always be a survival horror fan, like through and through. And so having that sort of removed was sort of the biggest disappointment. But when it comes to like an action game, like I think it was a blast, and it kept the I kept the length I think appropriate. Um, I mean, I think it could have maybe chewed, um, you know, got rid of some fat. But thirteen hours is like pretty decent especially because i just got done playing kingdom hearts 2 and that <laughs> was a lot longer than you know i guess i wanted but well, yeah the length i think was a surprise just because you know we've been so ingrained with these annualized shooters where it's like the campaign seemingly gets shorter and shorter and shorter every year to the point mm-hmm. that they're almost an afterthought seemingly just is a filler until you get to the multiplayer portion sometimes so to have you know, this return for Doom and to have it be this thing that, yeah, there's fat on it. As somebody that, you know, grew up loving Doom as many did and just getting to coexist in that world again and see, you know, like you said, the gorgeous id Tech 6 and just exploring hell as you had never explored it before in terms of mm-hmm. like Doom and whatnot was fantastic. And I, you know, I think where I differ from some of the gripes is that, the way that I was viewing the game is like I came back to it after not, you know, before we were recording, we were talking about we've all taken like substantial breaks from playing games, you know, pursuing other interests or this and that. And coming back to this game when I did, I had taken one of those breaks and it was one of those things where I was wondering and I had played Doom 3 and I enjoyed that, but I had had such a gap in time in terms of like when I was playing these two games that I was like, oh, well, 
so long as there's demons and I get to like, you know, rip and tear and this new gorgeous graphics and mm-hmm. everything, I was like, well, I'll probably enjoy it. And then to have it be this game that is so reflective of Doom's past while not being afraid to evolve and push things in a new direction, uh, I was actually really appreciative of just because, I don't know, I'm one of these people that I'm, I'm willing to give developers, you know, the the freedom to, you know, deliver an experience that might play drastically different than what I was expecting. And I guess for me, there were just enough elements with Doom 2016 that, you know, those gameplay loops and even though in between those, you know, uh, Doom portal or Hell portals that you have to close and whatnot, like, yeah, it's kind of exactly what you'd expect from a, you know, modern mm-hmm. first person action game where, okay, I'm going to, you know, do some climbing, I'm going to do some jumping, I'm going to jump some canyons. But at the end of the day, like those loops, I thought were so strong in just the fluidity of movement and how the game like glory kills just tie into that in a way that, you know, I found myself really getting into having that soundtrack kick in at just the right moment and giving me this adrenaline anxiety moment, which I don't know. I think that that resonated with me a lot just because it channeled my fears that I had playing the original games as a kid where it's like all of a sudden there's all these monsters and they're closing in and they're pursuing you. They're Mm -hmm. traveling from room to room to follow you and everything. And to have that and to have the action unfold in your face, you know, quite literally when you have the, uh, the brute ability and you're literally ripping their heads in half or you're chainsawing them, uh, Mm -hmm. and half and everything like that scratched such an itch. And the fact that, you know, it played very differently than I was anticipating for a doom game, it still drew on that aesthetic in a way that it was totally in line with my sensibilities and especially like watching more horror around that time and everything. It just, it clicked for me in a way that I really, really enjoyed while, you know, still being uh, able to acknowledge the fact that, yeah, there's definitely a little more fat on it than I would like. And the in-between sections are not nearly as enjoyable as those core, you know, little engagement arena loops. But, um, I don't know. I was curious, like, what did you guys think of, we've mentioned, you know, it not being a scare-focused game, it not having a lot of scares in it, but how do you guys view the tone of, like, the way they present the world, the way they present Doom Guy or the Slayer, as he's now known? How did you feel about that, uh, Greg? Um, I mean, going into it, I was definitely um, a bit hesitant about them sort of just repeating the same formula of... Because I, when I played Doom 3, it was around the time I got into Half-Life 2. Um, and I just loved the beginning of setting up the world where you're sort of forced in, in sort of a conveyor belt way to walk around this, like, sort of uh, totalitarian system. And Doom 3 was sort of the same way, but with Mars. And here, I think I, I did appreciate the way they sort of, like, kick you in the face by having you w- awaken on this slab. And you just have to sort of gung-ho go for it. Um, and yeah, I, I think that that was necessary. I just think that, huh, you don't know, Neil, you could <laughs> help, help me out while I find my words, I guess, because I, yeah. I never played Dishonored, which, and I, I've, the only game I play, like I played Fallout, um, and Evil Within from Bethesda. But I, the only Wolfenstein I'd played from id Software was um, Old Blood. Is that yeah. one? Which is like the remake of uh, Return to Capital Wolfenstein. Yeah, and so like that was like the only one that I played, and I feel like they share a similar tone hmm. in that. I, I guess I, I was looking for a bit more 
Um, I was expecting more tongue-in-cheek, I think, from just the overall tone of Doom, because uh, it seemed like when you when you look, when you you play this game, it seems like they may have been really big fans of the Carl Urban Doom movie. Because you look <laughs> at that movie, and it like sort of did what uh, Resident Evil did, which is sort of stray a bit from the formula, but it, that, that movie incorporated, you know, some metal riffs and some, you know, first person is a bit more aggressive in that way. And I, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I just, I do really, really appreciate the way that they just sort of committed to a total, tonal departure. And there was like, we want it to be balls to the wall action and you're going to keep on moving. Um, but yeah, I think the, the setup was very in line, but again, it's, you know, sort of what we talked about before about the in-between stages. Once you're done sort of sealing off a room and killing the demons, you have all this stuff in between that, um, could have had a bit more life thrown into it, I guess. Um, but yeah, no, I I think the the tone they set was uh, sort of just what you needed. It's it's interesting you bring up that about the Carl uh, Urban Doom movie because it feels like that that empowerment that they're trying to give you in Doom twenty sixteen is very reminiscent of that first person scene they give you in that film. Mm. Where it's like, oh, yeah. it's not like it's supposed to be scary. It's just like, it's a ghost train ride of like, here, you get to be in control. Here, you take that. There you go. Bam. They're gone. They're gone. They're gone. They're gone. And that's what it feels like. It's like, you're this all powerful being. And then they kind of allude into that film about, you know, oh, now you've got all this power and you're, you can take on the world, so to speak. And mm-hmm. yeah, there's a bit of that. And <laughs> I think. Luckily, that movie didn't go so far from the original source that we ended up derailing the actual game franchises in the, in the same way that Resident Evil did, where it started copying the films mm-hmm. way too much, you know, and yeah. we got Resi 6. Um, but yeah, it, it still definitely felt like a, well, we learned some lessons from that and we kind of wanted to work with that as an idea and yeah, at the core of it, you know, you think of the music all the way back with Doom, it was always there, you know, to be this big pompous, pompous metal thing, you know. And it, yeah, I can see how you could spitball that idea of like, you know, what if we just made it this big, you know, rock opera full of blood, you know, and dismemberment, and which is what it is, you know. It's, yeah. It's it's, <laughs> it's slipknot meets meatloaf, if you will, you know, in terms of just full on an assault on the senses, but with a rhythm to it that really just sort of like feels right, you know, when when it really works. Unfortunately there's just too many spoken word tracks in between to sort of you know knock that out of sync in the way it should really be working. But yeah, I, I do really think it deserves credit for the you know the change of tone and trying something different because it needed to you know it's like we'd had doom one way we'd had doom another way and as with wolfenstein it's like let's try it you know they've done wolfenstein at that point and taken this new approach and you're quite right to point out that there's a similarity because i think with the tone they went with new order to old blood very much played a part in what they were trying to see would work um, for future games, and Doom ended up coming out like that as well because of that. 
uh, where they were like, okay, we want to go for this almost B movie tone where it's like everything's wrapped up to the nines and we're going to really sell into the idea of how violent it is. We're going to be as violent and shocking and over the top as people claimed them to be back in the day, mm. you know, and ironically, it's not a, the problem it used to be in that regard. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, unless, you know, we get to New Colossus and Wolfenstein and did literally talk about political issues, but that was a whole other thing. Here, it was just like, no, no, we, we are fully embracing the idea that it's just full on violence and as a continuation of what came before and the idea that, well, you've already gone through all this once is seemingly the idea. And it's like, and you are some sort of Dane chosen one who really, really does just love to kill. <laughs> That's it. So yeah, it works with that message very much put in from early on. I mean, the, the running little jokes they make, you know, with this sort of black comedy of like, oh, you shouldn't do that because it will doom us all. It's like, well, no, you shouldn't destroy this. You shouldn't destroy that. And he just literally just kicks things to pieces and like that. Yeah. And, you know, certainly really built up on with uh, Doom Eternal, which is like this whole everyone sort of cowers in reverence to the Doomslayer and how badass he is, which does feed back into the idea of this old John Wick-esque style character where it's like everyone's like deathly afraid of this myth of what he is. Um, but they still take him on anyway, you know, and it's like, so, but it's fun to see that and to play that out to the difference between say a John Wick film where it's like, it gets a bit stupid that so many people warn everyone about how badass John Wick is and then still then try and take on John Wick. Here it's like they take it on the Doomslayer, but you are the Doomslayer, so it's kind of nice and cathartic to be the one to say, "Oh yeah, you want to take me on? I'll show you exactly what I can do," sort of thing. But that works because you had that agency and that interaction with with what you're doing. Um, it it has that you know the suspension of disbelief is is there. You know you you can do it a bit better. Well, it's also like, I mean, like, well, what does, like, the ego even mean to, like, hell spawns? Like, is there even an id in hell? It's like, I don't know. It's at this point when you're going through, like, you you're, you have the Doomslayer chasing uh, Olivia, the doctor, who's sort of, you know, convinced that she's gonna get something from hell. It's just like, okay. I mean, I, I find the comedic beats to be the story itself is, like, really funny, where it's just like, okay, you have this character who is really sure that she's gonna get her part by helping out, you know, the demons of hell. It's like, okay, you're so naive. And, like, that part to me is, like, is, is funny. But, yeah, I mean, like, you have these people just sort of, like, you know, John Cormick's just, like, committing to, like, this marriage of metal and violence. And it's just really is graphic. I mean, like, I, I think when I played Mortal Kombat 11, like, it doesn't matter how much horror I've seen. Like, the kills in that game, I was just, like, kind of yeah. like, how, are they <laughs> fucking, like how, how, how is this getting, yeah, how is this <laughs> passing? And then you have you have this where you're ripping horns off and you're cutting jugulars. And, like, it's just, like, it just, but, in, but that feels, just like Mortal Kombat does, like, holy doom. And it just feels like if this came out in, like, 1981 or, like, someone from 1981 came to 2016 and they had, like, a satanic panic fit yeah, because absolutely. it's just, like, this marriage of all these things that, you know, 
right right wing or Christian or Catholic families is griped about. And like, yeah, you could have taken Doom and you could have been like, we're gonna do third person, but then you would have been like, okay, that's like Gears of War. Or you could have done, you know, your driving vehicles, and people would be like, oh, well, that's like Halo. But like, they stay very true to what Doom is, and that's something I will like really appreciate. Yeah, and uh, like I said before, it's like even where it does sort of stray from what Doom was, it still falls within the camp of what id software had done you know it is it, it, mm. you know traversal is very much quake-esque you know it's it still and that you know quake very much is part of that legacy you know the doom begat the quake etc etc and that is important i think you know it's like only they are one of the few developers that can claim that you know they, they can say well, the only people we're copying is ourselves. You know, that's it. We are, mm-hmm. we are le- taking from us. You know, and most developers out there are taking from someone else completely at this point because how can they not? You know, that's the nineties and the early two thousands are are so impactful on everything that has come since now because they were the creative formative years before gaming really blew up in the way it is now, where it's just another facet of mainstream media you know like mm. everything else so of course they get held in that kind of reverence in the same way that classic films do you know it's like people were going to hold those things up on a pedestal because there were less to see less ways to discuss them and you know they hold this special power that, that you just can't get by being a new thing you know in the same way it, you the only way a new thing gets power now is because it came out on console X or console Y. That's it. It's nothing to do with how special a game is really. You'll get your small audiences that will, you know, praise the thing for what it is. But yeah, it's, you you only have to look at film and the way that's gone, you know, in terms of like, it's, you know, we got the monkey's paw with like, it'd be nice to have a great comic book movie. And now it's like, everything's a comic book movie. So you must, <laughs> and, and you must love them all or, or be smited by the community sort of thing. And while we're not quite there, I think it's, uh, we, you know, you see it a lot. Brought up like, you know, the sort of the climate of movies today. And it's just, I think it's just kind of funny because, you know, you have people being like, oh, well, like, what's your favorite A24 movie or your favorite neon film? And it's just like, no, so, so we're now looking at distributors and not like the creative people behind it. And you sort of, you know, I, th- I feel like we've been doing that for so long with video games where it's like, what's your favorite like Bethesda game or from software? And it's not, you know, and I mean, the directors and the creative team behind it are highlighted, I think, especially if you're into it. But for the most part, the way we talk about movies is very sort of removed from the creative team team and yeah, more, it's yeah. sort of in the same way and the sort of the same way as you know video games but it's like people will look at like a24 and they'll be like oh like they're reinventing like horror and it's like uh, i mean you know i think for the most part they're trying but what i really appreciate appreciate about the tea behind this is that like they're not trying to be revelatory or like create something brand new like they're just like here's this formula that you all love and we're just gonna fucking crank it to 11 and it's just like, you know, because I, I get kind of exhausted by, and I think that's was sort of my feelings about the evil within. It's like, I, you know, 
I knew of the guy, you know, the Resident Evil director going in to create this. And I think maybe I went in thinking, holding it to a higher regard and being like, yes. okay, I want to be like Resident Evil. But it did feel like it was trying to reinvent a bit of the horror uh, genre. And it didn't necessarily work for me in its entirety. I mean, I'm not done playing it. But in here, it was just like, they just fucking double down on what they know and what they've been doing really well. And it's just like, yeah, it, it's fast-paced. It's... Yeah, I don't know. It's a marriage of all these things, and I think that once people are able to get past the tone, if that is an issue, it's just like, and especially the multiplayer, I sort of like jumped into, um, like, you just sort of go be moving from chamber to chamber trying to kill these things and survive, and like, that's what I really love about it, and there's just a ton of replay value that I think that... Um, is there without having to replay and get, you know, the secrets and all this stuff? Because, yeah, I think that the, the game works best when you're constantly moving. It could just be exhausting after 13 hours, but, you know, that's when you just take a break, I guess. No, so, yeah, you, know, you have chapters, chapters <laughs> for a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it goes back to that. It's just you don't have to play for hours on end in the same way that I was discussing before we start this, that having that revelation that you don't have to watch an entire movie in one sitting, you know, there's mm. no saintly way to do these things. You know, you can take ages on a game if you're not, you know, if it's not your job, but it's like, and, and that's nice. And you, but I get the pressure of it, you know, the way, with um, all these things now is that you have to be there. You have to be first. You have to, have watched it, watched or played or done something within the first week, or you're going to be, mm. you know, bested by the internet in, in some way. And that's been going on in some way, shape or form for the last decade or so, you know. I, I distinctly remember it as far back as fucking 2010. Yeah, with uh, Red Dead Redemption. And like, because of being online, having the ending of that game spoiled before I ever got to play a second of it. And it was like, oh, sure. or and then heavy rain, the same. And it was like weird to have this, you know, like because I hadn't had it even then. I hadn't had it with movies that often, you know, mm -hmm. that had been out for years. And here it was with games. It's like, you know, and going back then, there was someone that used to go on a certain forum that was like an anti PlayStation person was like literally i'll come and ruin the things because i like xbox that was it that was <laughs> that was their shtick so yeah um so yeah it was a horrible sort of thing to get and so you are sort of pressured into this idea if you're really into this fear of games and whatever to you know get into it in the moment it's happening and that doesn't work for anyone you know and it's, it's a common complaint about reviewing things as well that is that if you're not given the time to go through something and appreciate it properly, you're going to have a very different opinion to someone just playing it for fun who's not in that system because you're being pressured and put into a, a bottled situation where you are having to fight against the game's worst parts, you know, which will then feel worse because you are you know, having this time limit in your head of like, oh, I need to get this done. I can't, I hate that I'm being, this bit is too slow or I hate that this bit is, you know, too hard or making me replay it too much. And you often see that sort of manifesting complaints about it. Like this, you know, there's a difficult section here and then 
obviously people who don't have that sort of experience of it will then come and say, oh, you know, you just think it's too hard because you're a journalist or whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it's just it, difficult to sort of get that idea in your head. Uh, I mean, the worst I feel for is people who do guide work because, you know, they not only have to complete a game, you know, they have to then go and find every nook, cranny, secret mm. way to do things and write all the stuff up. And that's just like, that That would be hell to me. Yeah. <laughs> I, would just, I would never want to do that. And yet there are people out there that do that and they, they go unsung by general public because nobody wants to admit that they need help and nobody wants to make them sound like they're, you know, they're not very good at these things. So, yeah, big shout out to those people that do that job because it really is just hell on earth to, to do that sort of thing. Well, I, I feel like nowadays, especially with most strategy guys, is sort of being like uh, like a wiki extension or you going and being... It's, everything is online. So when there is like a printed book, like a strategy book, it's usually gorgeous. Like I look back at like the what they did for Bloodborne and for Sekiro, and it's just like, they're in Dark Souls, like they're just like works of art. Yeah. And I think that the, whoever is doing it, it's a bit more appreciative. But like back in the day when I would get like Final Fantasy VII strategy guide, it was like, I don't know, I didn't care about who was credited. I just wanted like the information. Yeah. I wanted it to be easier for me. But I think mm-hmm. the funny thing about sort of, I guess, all of our ways of playing Doom 2016 was that, you know, I was sort of on a time crunch and I was like, okay, well I have 12 days before this podcast. <laughs> so I, I, I really need to like keep playing this. And so I think my, the way I'm like looking at it and the way I'm like digesting it is definitely different because I would have maybe bigger frustrations. I got maybe a bit more exhausted sort of like playing it, but yeah. you know, and, and did that take away from my, me appreciating it probably to like, you know, a degree I don't really acknowledge, but I like, just really wanted to be able to say I beat it by the time I got on here. And so it's like, you know, I don't like, I mean, when you, when both of you played, how long did it take you to sort of get through the whole thing? For about 15 hours. Yeah. I'd say, cause I was one of those people that wanted to track down all the little Easter eggs and nods. Mm, yes. And, no. Yeah. It's like, I, I mean, I started to, but I, in any game that it starts feeling like work, I, I start resenting it a bit. I, I think yeah. if I don't feel invested in the idea of collecting stuff, it means that, to me anyway, that they, it feels like an afterthought and it doesn't feel natural to the flow of what you're doing. And even games like, games I've loved that I'd say like 10 out of 10 game, I, there are games like that that have side missions and things like that and collectibles. And I'm like, I'm never touching that shit. And it's like that, but I, my experience is what I wanted to do with the game. And I respect a game that appreciates that. And, and just like, you don't have to do that stuff. And, but when, yeah, you know, you get those sort of things at the end of missions and it says, you didn't find any of these things and like that. It's like, then you start thinking, Oh, I take, I take it to heart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm like, and I'm like, no way. And that's very much imbibed because. That goes back to, you know, the early days of the early Doom games. You know, like, here's what secrets you did find. Here's what this stuff you didn't do. And then on to Quake, the same. And, it, uh, yeah, it, it really does just sort of make you go, oh, I should have got everything, you know. And I, I do that with Tony Hawk. I mean, like, <laughs> like, you know, when Tony Hawk first came out for the PlayStation, I'd be like, I can't move on to the next skate park yes. until I get 100%. <laughs> and it's just like, it's just how I am as, like, a consumer. Like, I just want to, like, you know, finish things. I just want to close that door. And 
with Doom, I just like kept like Doom twenty sixteen. I just kept on leaving every door open because it was just like, uh, you didn't find any sh- anything. I was just like, I'm sorry, I kept moving. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, that that, but, that yeah. is where it feels like uh, it's going against the current, so to speak, of what the game's trying to do, which uh, is you know excusable in the sense that it is trying to be a classic id game and doing what id games do. But maybe that's the one thing they could have taken out, if you don't want me, and, and had not so much of, and just had like Easter eggs and things to, to discover that weren't so. Yeah, because it just seems like work. A t- like a, t- a time limit. Yeah. I, th- I think they, I think like it, how, how quickly you finish the mission should have been, there should have been like a ranking system, like, th- yes. like third, second, first. Cause like, uh, I, I was kind of talking to a friend not too long ago about Goldeneye and how, in order to unlock like the golden gun and infinite rocket rocket ammo, you had to beat the level at like a crazy fast pace. And I remember as a kid, just like beating my head against the wall, like trying to cut corners and shave off seconds. And that was kind of fun. And it's, it was, I think it was atypical to the GoldenEye missions because I definitely took my time with those levels. And I think that this could, game could have benefited from having sort of like a ranking system of like, oh, you you beat this level in five minutes. Well, here's like a, a unlockable or a new or a classic map because I know I know that's a thing. And another thing that I didn't get into, which I think is kind of really cool, is like the Doom Snap map, which I'm not sure if both of you like ever created any of the of any of the maps. I dabbled a bit. I think when the game came out. Yeah, I played around mm-hmm. with it. Took me back yeah. to my Far Cry days. Oh wow! Yeah. I think back to the other. I'll say that. So I can call that one. I think of um, Operation Flashpoint. Uh, yeah, which was mm. like the precursor to Armor and uh, Daisy and all that stuff, and mm. just how like granular that was. And yeah, I used to love doing that. I mean, I, I really love making my own stuff in video games, where it's just like characters. You know, it's why I love XCOM because you could just make your own squad of people, and you have that you can invest your own little personal stories in that. It's like mm. why I love playing Pro Evolution Soccer, make a team of your mates and like go to glory with them and mm-hmm. things like that. And just, or just designing a character, how you want them to be. I love all that stuff. It's brilliant. And having any aspect of that is always interesting to me. And yeah, the snap map stuff is cool, but I don't know if I was into Doom's multiplayer enough to care, you know, in the same way that I would have... Mm. Again, I think that just comes back to there are so many first-person shooters that have happened in my life that now it's like it's not really quite the event it used to be to find an online shooter, you know, that really does it for me. And if they do, they tend to be the ones that are a disaster uh, commercially. Uh, Titanfall Two comes to mind, you know, the, the yeah. perfect first-person shooter, and that had an exquisite online and a really short and punchy engaging single-player story. And yet it bombed because EA were twats that put out a Battlefield game at the same time and ruined its chances. So it just and to to this day, it just baffles me because it felt like the perfect moving on point from what had happened with Call of Duty and it could have been mm. something special. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Snap Map, I mean, I took a look at it I didn't make anything but definitely sort of uh, threw me back to time splitters when you were able to sort of create yeah. levels 
And I mean, you know, the, the first thing I ever did when I was a kid was like Excite Bike for the NF, uh, for the NES. So I was just like designing bike courses. And then, you know, and then going back to Tony Hawk, you can sort of create your own skate park in a way. But yeah, um, I, I think, I think that's a cool, like, you know, sort of, sort of add on. Um, but yeah, I mean, cause like, you know, they're already throwing sprint, like sprinting, double jumping, climbing. Um, there are all these, you know, movement being a key to the, to the offense of it. But, uh, yeah, I tried to go online and play people, but I think the game's just not really, like, I could not get mashed up with anybody. So whoever's, if anyone's out there, don't go there. Doom 2016 is a wasteland <laughs> when it comes to online play. I will say the multiplayer had that cool mode where I played it, obviously, around the time of the release because it's such a ghost town these days. But there was a mode where I believe one person controls like a caca demon or something mm. like that. There's like a couple of the demons that you can control. And then there is this sort of uh, uh, soul doom guys versus the monsters and playing around with those abilities. And then I forget, I don't remember if you can become a cyber demon or something like that, but it was just very cool to like be given the reins of these demons that, you know, you've been slaying for so long and each of them, uh, it kind of had a left for mm. dead feel to mm. it actually, where it's like, they're, they're essentially like special infected or special demons and getting to play around with their different tool set was a, uh, was a, a cool way to kind of just take the strengths or the more interesting or defining aspects of doom, right. Is like monsters, varied creature design and incorporate that into multiplayer. Uh, in a way that I thought was pretty neat, but you know, it was short lived. Was that the um, Doom Eternal one? Or was that the Doom 2016 one? I, I'm thinking of Battle uh, Mode in, 20, in I think it Eternal, was... which is the mm-hmm. in ways you can play a Doom Slayer or a Demon. I think it was introduced in uh, 2016 and it probably carried over. I have, I honestly haven't played multiplayer for uh, Eternal. The, the distinctive thing I remember about Doom Eternal it was this promise of this like invasion esque thing that didn't really work out, which ironically I think then ended up being more integrated into Deathloop. I think in the end, but um, yeah, that was a that was actually the thing I was most intrigued by, and I think they ended up dropping it completely in the end, which is uh, unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of funny. I mean, you mentioned you know other first person shooters, and I think recently, and I mean. I, I I haven't dabbled enough in modern first-person shooters, but I think one of the best first-person shooters recently is probably Resident Evil 8, which, like, yeah. it's definitely not of the same ilk, but I just thought it sort of had the perfect fluid controls, the best atmosphere. Uh, it threw, like, the right amount of heavy hitters at you yeah. while also being, you know... But, like, yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. I, I think we are a bit oversaturated, oversaturated with, like, Call of Duty sort of games Very but much. i don't know it just makes you appreciate you know what um it software is doing even more that's it i think you really need to have different takes on that sort of multiplayer aspect especially if you're doing that i mean i I think one of the things that amazed me most in recent years in terms of like a first person multiplayer game is uh chivalry 2 because you know it's not guns it's, you know, medieval swords and shields and bows and arrows sort of thing, but in first person, you know, it's so intricate in how you parry and attack and do all this stuff. And it's amazing that it, it felt as fresh to me as like classic shooters did. You know, this, it makes you feel the vulnerability of being like up close and personal with 
someone in a, a sword fight and how dangerous it could be to make the wrong move like that. And, you know, and also props for the fact that it's bloody and gory and takes, mm. you know, Monty Python levels of like, oh, your arm's been cut off, but you can still <laughs> fight sort of stuff. It, I love that, you know, and so you need to have some sort of ingenuity if you're going to do that sort of stuff these days and uh, to really stand out. And even then, you know, you've got to have a hook that works to be popular, to really be perceived as being anything like amazing these days. You know, the numbers that used to do well for games are deemed irrelevant in most cases. You know, you see dead game things for stuff that still does like millions of players a month. <laughs> so it's, it's, you know, you've got no chance if you're like only getting a few thousand, you know, and it's deemed that your game is basically a failure from launch because you haven't become the next Call of Duty, Fortnite, whatever thing, you know. But hey-ho. But yeah, when those games find a niche and get the audience they deserve, it's really nice because then you get to see them grow and evolve and hopefully become the sort of studios that keep that moving forward in the way that it did, you know, back in the day and have continued to do in, in recent years where you get the room and the comfort to sort of experiment in your own little niche, if, if you know what I mean, and not have to worry about financial issues and like meeting ridiculous you know goals that set by publishers that expect way too much and so games like chivalry too especially to me are great signs of how we can go forward with like the first person sort of movement i think that that's why you know for me doom 2016 came at such a pivotal time because you know, talking about oversaturation, like the first person shooters that people around me were playing or I was, you know, dabbling in were all very much along the kind of stock standard military lines of things. I was, you know, in playing console games. And at that time, it was kind of just like, yeah, this is all looks like stuff that I've played. And, you know, I think part of why 2016 Doom clicks with me so well is that, you know, it doesn't necessarily take itself too seriously. You know, again, talking about that tone and whatnot, mm -hmm. like the Doom guy is now literally a god, right? People are worshiping him. Uh, the, the kind of just like the uh, the satire of kind of like taking the piss out of capitalism and things like that. The way the UAC is portrayed now where it's like they're very upfront about how little they value human life and you're constantly given these reminders of that and things like that. And then to have that contrasted against the you know the over crank to 11 tone we've been talking about and how just because the game has these humorous moments and it can be very funny at times like laugh out loud funny i found mm -hmm. the gameplay never takes a hit from that you know sometimes i don't know some the, balancing humor is always a very difficult thing for me and i think that's why i appreciate the use of humor in this because it never feels like it's getting in the way of the gameplay or anything and if anything again like the gameplay clicked with me a little more um but i think that it just makes her this really unique return to a franchise that uh, is definitely a standout for me. And it's something that it was a, uh, a welcome surprise to the next chapter of, uh, of doom at the time. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, I, you know, I'm still on the spider mastermind, so I haven't finished the game though. I know I, you know, kind of peaked and I know what happens at the end. So when you finish 2016, were you eagerly anticipating the next Doom as being a straight sequel, or do you think think that it was gonna 
be something totally different because I mean at this point I think is what Samuel Hayden sort of traps you and says like you know we'll see you again kind of thing yeah for me I think I was I guess I was anticipating it to be because it is you know the return of doom since there had been this such a period of time in between the last release and or the last you know main series release and I was expecting something to be more about just like expanding on Mm. that scope and that scale uh, because, you know, there was such a positive response to this new direction and everything and it being very, you know, well critically received as well as being financially successful. And I was expecting it to be this bigger thing that is even more intense and more mm-hmm. in your face. And so that's probably why I enjoy Doom Eternal, I think, more than maybe than some do, just because it gave me what I wanted. It feed, It fed more into that, you know, more intense, more anxiety inducing sort of just in your face combat mm-hmm. where... Like the boot really doesn't come off of your neck in that game for very long, yeah. uh, which is scratching an itch that I really was looking for in first person shooters. And again, I love that aesthetic and the soundtrack and everything like that. And it kicking in at the right moments and everything like it again, it still felt like such a departure from a majority of the shooters that I was you know, either playing or that were around that period where it was like it gave me exactly more of what I wanted from a mm-hmm. gameplay uh, standard and you know, I don't necessarily, I won't say like, oh, I was dying to know the next chapter in the Doom Guys story. And I think that's an element that Doom Eternal gets a little mm-hmm. carried away with without, you know, going down that mm-hmm. path. I think that, you know, 2016's approach to the story in Doom Guy is perfect because it it's reflective and it's co- making a commentary almost on, you know, this is a franchise that's been around forever. Uh, and it's about, at the end of the day, you know, ripping demons in half. It's like, how seriously can you take mm-hmm. that? And that's why, for me, you know, 2016 works so well tonally across the board. And without going into any spoilers or anything, like, it loses a lot of that, I think, you know, wherewithal with Doom Eternal. It almost starts to, like, drink its yeah, own Kool-Aid th- in this, that regard, which this I was not a fan more, of. I compare to the John Wick problem. Just, like, it's all well and good. To keep going on about how special and legendary and frightening this person is, but it then just looks stupid when everyone's just going to keep fighting them anyway. You know, it's like, you know, you can't go there going, "Oh, this is the chosen one. This the guy we warned you about. You shouldn't fuck with this guy." Also, go fuck with this guy. It it just it serves as this weird tonal confusion, and there it's like, yeah, it goes a bit above and beyond in Doom Eternal it's just like it just keep throwing more shit at you and like cool because that's what you needed for him as a character is to yeah well no he's come back and now he's got to face worse things and but he's equipped for it he's the chosen one so you don't feel peril and again goes back to what Greg was saying you know it takes out that horror element because you are very much like the god of this whole game, effectively, where it's like you're coming to kick ass and no one's going to take that away from you, you know, because a checkpoint is never far away, if you will, both you know, narratively and, you know, literally. And yeah, so it that's where it just pushes it a little too far, as you were saying, Jay. It, it, it doesn't need to be quite so high on its own supply as it is with, making him this great big you know golden god that can do everything it it was funny in little small doses that he didn't give a shit and all this stuff in doing 2016 
But yeah, by eternal, it's like, uh, it's very much the, that push beyond what they did with the Matrix in Reloaded and stuff where, you know, Neo is God and he can do whatever the fuck he wants. But at least then, you know, there he has another side to that character. You know, whether we keep bringing Keanu Reeves into God mode things here, but it's like, (laughs) 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 but, you know, these are very relevant examples. And yeah, so at least with that character, you had these things that made him humble, human, self-doubt like this. Whereas this is like, no, you are literally just a, a killing machine. And it kind of robs a bit of personality from that character. You know, what little mystery and personality there was there is gone because now it's like, well, it doesn't really matter. You know, everyone's telling you the same thing. It's not like any cruel punch, to, so to speak. You know, you are just that. You are, That is what you are. You are the chosen one. You're going to do this, this and this. And you like killing and you'll keep killing. That's it. Uh, it the, the clue is in the title with Doom Eternal. It's like, that's, that's the idea. And so it's... I, I, yeah. I, I, I just love how like it, this, you tweak the smallest thing within the Doom Slayer and you kind of strip him of his godlike, you know, sort of uh, power because it's like you already have this guy. He's able to move faster than any demon. And if you just took away that ability, that would be, that that right there would make it more human. But you already have him just sort of like just barreling forward. And yeah, I think I think it's you know time to lead into it because I mean, with especially you know going back to Doom Three, it's like you had to take out your flashlight in order to look around. And I remember that being a huge gripe with like fans. There's like it's the future. Why isn't your flashlight attached to your weapon? It's just like okay, like that's not how the genre works. But like <laughs> you know, and, but like and, and I and I do like how this game really sort of. Uh, leans into the music, and I think like like most good horror films, it's very, like, it's an accompaniment of the, the the soundtrack and the score and like what that's doing. And here, you know, it sort of sets the tone and it sets the stages. And I think that you take one away, and you're gonna have you know it's sort of gonna crumble in a way. And I don't know. I mean, and that's what like when Doom Eternal came out, I just remember hearing everybody talking about how like you're just killing to like shredding guitars and like heavy metal. And I was just like, Oh cool. Like that sounds like a new thing. You know, lo and behold, it's what they were doing in 2016. So yeah, this is it, which is why people was very high on 2016 because it was just this, I suppose that's the reason that it was such a popular thing. You know, it's because it did surprise, you know, in a way that folk weren't expecting in much the same way that Wolfenstein and New Order did, where it's like, Here's a a more Tarantino-esque take on you know, the war, you know, the World War Two genre, compared mm-hmm. to what Wolfenstein had been, and you know that worked for a lot of people, you know, until it didn't, and people said it was too political, which is still the daftest thing ever. But I digress. It still you know dug its own new hole and. I, I can appreciate that about the modern Doom games in, in that they do dig their own hole, put their own standout, whatever you want, and make it relevant again, you know, it, it, which mm-hmm. is the key thing. You know, whatever personal feeling you might have about them, they made Doom relevant again and iconic again in a way that had nothing to do with what Doom was. Yeah, you know, and that that's 
majorly important you know to be able to do that with a franchise as simple as doom is remarkable without you know going the very obvious route which is like you must be story heavy you must have like you know pathos behind the character and all this they didn't do it they didn't do all that they they literally said no no, no we're just going to be the game we always thought people always thought we were and but with modern sensibilities where everyone's a bit more desensitized to that and for that alone it's a success you know that mm-hmm. alone quantifies everything they've done and, and deserves the greatest of respect for what they did retaining that mm. dna like if you don't do that then it's like what are, why why does this have exactly. doom on the box right yeah. it's such a delicate balance and I think that in terms of like taking such a classic and beloved franchise and modernizing it in the way that they do while it's still, you know, from a gameplay perspective, very different, you know, it still feels like doom through and through in a way that, you know, has not been the case for some other franchises that have tried to do something similar and losing that again, that DNA and that identity is so critical and key that, yeah, for me, like when they take those big swings and, deliver something that you know might not play exactly like you remember or there are these additions that at the time might feel like a strange idea or like oh this isn't in line with my understanding of what doom is at the end of the day though it still is all encompassed in a world that wholly feels like doom uh and the fact that again like the commitment to cranking that up to 11 at seemingly every turn uh delivers this new facet of doom in a way that you know who knows? In the future, we might see a return to a more survival horror esque mm-hmm. uh, entry, like Doom Three or something like that. But I think again, like for people like us, it's more about nailing the feel of Doom and having similar aesthetic to you know what came before, but being accepting of the fact that like they might take big swings and you know it might not work out a hundred percent of the time for us, and we'll still have our gripes, but it uh, it will be an exciting kind of continuation of a franchise that uh, that we all love. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you could you could take the you know Shinji Mikami, the Resident Evil series creator. You know, when he did the Evil Within, it's like when I played that game, I was like, oh, man, I just want like a, a survival horror game that feels like Resident Evil, and I didn't get that because I mean, this is him trying, you know, tr- branching out. And I think, and that game to me, I got maybe like ten hours in before I sort of put it back on the shelf and you know i can't say that with doom and like like you know i kept on playing doom because i was like really in- invested in it and i mean i think the way i played it i sort of relate to the way a lot of tv is now digested where it's like people binge watch it and i definitely didn't play the game in like one sitting or one day it was you know broken up between probably 10 days but i kind of played it at a breakneck speed and i don't and that's not my preferred way of playing games if i like you know want to take a seat or i want to go outside i want to be able to have some breathing room with it and let it sort of sit with me but the fact that i wasn't able to give that game that treatment yet i still was like very invested in just like the thrash metal aspect of this because i mean you you look at a lot of the worlds especially hell and outside mars it kind of resembles like a frank frazetta painting where it's just like everything's sort of larger than life and that's what Doom's about. And I, I'm kind of glad that they didn't take, you know, these big, broad, creative swings to try new things because I don't know. If it's, I guess, if it's not broken, sort of like, you know, there's nothing to fix. But yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, I think before we 
wrap up, we're going to chat briefly about uh, some li- or share some listener tweets that we've received. And uh, if anybody ever wants to, you know, share thoughts on a game we're going to cover or horror game that you guys have been enjoying and you want to tell us about, uh, everybody should feel free to tweet us at Safe Room Pod. Uh, and first is going to be from at sleepless underscore Matt, who said, uh, I generally prefer the original Doom over Doom 2, but the original Archvile will forever be one of my favorite monster designs in all of gaming. It's not even that it's very elaborate or fancy, but the gangly arms and posing just make it so effectively intimidating. That's definitely one that uh, stands out from back in the day as being one of those really like it feels like it's from a monster movie, right? A little Harryhausen, you know, to me, you know, I, in, in which when you're younger really worked, you know, when you have this sort of stop motion, sort of nightmare thing mm. coming at you. It's and a lot of what made the original doing is work was that that everything felt like here's those things that gave you small nightmares as a child come to life and coming at you and first person was such an exciting new thing at that point that you know the idea of just being in the eye someone else's eye line it it, it was really intimidating you know and it as doom retook really that to a new level and those characters are absolutely wild yeah and i think that that's why you know, somebody that was playing catch up with a couple of the later entries like Doom 64, you know, it really pushed me to keep exploring those levels and, you know, powering through the game just so I could see like a new rendition of, you know, classic and also a couple of new uh, monster designs. And that's one thing that I think that Doom will, you know, will be forever a part of Doom and why that game is so influential and just, you know, so much variety in the types of creatures and demons and things like that. But, uh, Next up is at friendly cat 201 who says when the cyber demon showed up, they really liked that because in the awe of his size, uh, he is a friggin' unit, mm. they say. But that I think is like one of the best examples of, and Greg was kind of touching upon this, like the scale of Doom 2016, right? Not only just in terms of the environment, but getting to see these monsters in a way that, you know, they're they were imposing in classic doom games, but to a degree where they literally tower over the player in this. Um, and that was definitely an element that I think is just really, really awesome to see them that they can play around with that, whether it be the scope of environment, the scope of engagements in terms of the amount of units that you're fighting or enemies, but also just the fact that they can still have monsters that like take you aback when you see them because they just, they quite literally tower over this, supposedly demon god but at the same time like just massive filling up the entire screen yeah like the the cyber demon growing up uh was always terrifying uh mostly because i was a huge in ray harryhausen's work on the seventh forge of sinbad and him is like his thick thighs and his hooves just reminded me of uh the cyclops but yeah it's like one of the best character designs all done by tom hall there's always a little hesitation or fear i suppose where you're want something that is coming back to be familiar, but there are going to be little tweaks to the design. And overall, like, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but like the creature designs in this for the very small tweaks, like some of them are barely noticeable, but like incredibly faithful while not feeling like they're ignorant of a passage of time, right? There are these little uh, design and elements, uh, stylistic elements that I really, really appreciate that um, they've applied to a majority of the monsters in this. Oh yeah. I mean, like, you know, I mean, kind of growing up in the 90s i think i feel like stan winston's sort of creature effects were still still felt in early games and you know now i think that there's staying true to doom they sort of kept a lot of the appearances but they all look beautiful 
And again, I'm glad they didn't rework a lot of the designs. Like, the, um, you know, every, everything felt true, but also really beautiful. And I think that they needed that, especially if you're going to go toe-to-toe with them and, like, rip horns off and, like, smash eyeballs. And, like, you're getting, I mean, you're getting up close and personal with these, which, you know, and you're looking at it. And this is beautiful design work all around. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, last or listener tweet for this week is going to be from I'm... That Mason guy who said, my absolute favorite moment is from Doom 2016 when Hayden tells Doom guy, your affinity for guns is apparent. It's such a wild understatement that I can't help but smile every time. Yeah, man, he likes guns. He likes guns a lot. Uh, yeah, you know, that is a really great example, again, of like a little, a brief snippet of dialogue that further just like reinforces the idea that like, yeah, all this guy does is kill and it's so apparent and that's all that is really revealed about his personality or his thought process. And, you know, it it's one little line and then the game moves on, right? And I think that the use of the humor and of reflecting and being in on the joke instead of, you know, having us kind of beaten over the head with these types of lines or having an entire segment or cut away to have a moment like that um, and not, you know, having an over-reliance on that is what allows that forward motion to really carry over from the gameplay to those brief cinematics where you're losing control of the camera or those more story element uh, moments and whatnot. But yeah, that's definitely one of those lines that, uh, that rings in the back of my head. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a lot of like the humor in doom, especially this one, uh, it's a sort of like stemming off the old Jurassic park line of like, you know, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether they could, they didn't stop to think that they should. And so it's like, you know, you're like, what are you doing? Like, you know, you're, you're dabbling in hell portals on Mars. It's like <laughs> at this point, it's like a farce, you know? And I, and I feel like, yeah, when, when that moment came of Samuel Hayden being like, you know, like you really like guns. I think my character was like standing on his desk. And I was just like, fuck yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like, send, send me back out there. I like going into that, I, that bit where he's going around smashing like those machines and being told by Hayden that it's not a good idea. And just, every, he literally waits for Hayden to have his little protest and then, so, and then just stamps on them. Like with such mm. like mm-hmm. petulant the childlike cor- the corporate disregard. Yeah, it, It's such a petulant childlike yeah. thing to do, but it's like, it's hilarious in the context because it's like, it's like, you, you think about it for a second it's like yeah it probably will have consequences he doesn't care <laughs> so like, that's it and and it does just build this sort of like if consequences happen to come my way it's alright I'll deal with them sort of thing and I like that it does that properly sort of personifies the character they're going for yeah I, I feel like I don't know I feel like it, it, Doom in the grand scheme of things feels like a very pro-union sort of game where it's just like you have the grunt being told not to destroy this and it's like he knows it's going to be used again if he doesn't and so he's just like fuck it I'm destroying it and yeah there's a sort of like a comedic brilliance to I think like the timing and the beats of that game I mean right in that intro sequence when you kind of plow through the imps and then you have that brief elevator ride, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Samuel Hayden is giving you this monologue, which is very much like a mad scientist type of moment where he's like, clearly things have gotten out of hand. And as soon as he says that, Doom guy looks down and there's like a human with his face bashed in, <laughs> yeah. right? And then Samuel Hayden kind of has that thing where he's like, oh, well, you know, uh, it's going to be worth it or something. And the Doom guy's like, no, fuck that. <laughs> That's not going to be the solution. I'm bringing the fucking house down. I mean, if you're, I mean, if you're playing Doom uh, and you hear Samuel Hayden's voice and immediately in your head, you're not like, this guy's nefarious. There's probably something wrong with you. Yeah. But, absolutely. yeah. <laughs> 
Absolutely. But yeah, I was uh, I was really happy to have you on, Greg, um, and finally getting to chat about Doom in a little more depth than we've had a chance to do so far on the podcast. So uh, thank you very much for your time, man. This was a pleasure. Oh, no, no. Thank you for inviting me. I just love talking video games. And I mean, I don't know. I talk to people online about it, but it's always typing. And it's one of those things where it's, you know, you find your Twitter is sort of divided by people who talk <laughs> film or talk <laughs> wrestling or talk video games. Yeah. And that's like when you tweet about a video game, it's like, you know, you don't really get much engagement. You're like, okay, like I see who's been following me and I love talking video games. So I was, you know, psyched to, to be invited on. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. Please consider following and rating the show on your preferred podcast platform. And for updates on the show, follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you guys next week.